0: bit about persecution I think we all have an understanding of it already but I think it's good to go over it a little bit and maybe we can share some things about it so let me just start with the word of prayer and then we'll get moving dearly father lord we just uh, thank you for this day lord I just thank you for um just thank you for hearing the prayers lord I was listening to Mr. Bogner pray lord and just realizing how many prayers are going up all around the world lord and we have so many just in our little church, and it's just its just such a blessing that we have a God that we can pray to, and he hears our prayers and he answers our prayers, and I just pray that, that you'll be with us during this time, Lord, that our minds and our hearts will be open. We just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, persecution against Christians has gone on since the beginning of the church. Um, if you turn to Acts chapter 6... And we won't read all of it, but we will read um, some of it. And I think maybe um, Jonathan, if you or Nathan can maybe pass the microphone around, might get a little help reading some scripture. Um, anyway, in Acts chapter 6, Joe, uh, Stephen is chosen to be the first of what we refer to today, I think, as uh, deacons. Um, and then let's go to uh, verses 5 and 8 in chapter 6. Um And can we get a volunteer to read those three verses? Okay, Mr. Adams, can someone hand him the mic? I was going to say toss it, but we better say hand it to him. Chapter 6, 5 and 6, you said? Chapter 6, verses 5 through 8.
1: And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip and Peter, Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmianus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. All right, thank you, Matt.
0: So um, he was very effective. They were very effective. Stephen was very effective at what he was doing. As it says in here, um, the word of God increased, the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Um, now that didn't bode well for some. Um, so let's go to uh, Acts chapter 9 through 13. Um, there arose certain of the synagogues, which called, which is called the synagogue of the, I should have somebody else read this too, Liberians and Cyrenes and Alexandrians, of them of Sicily and Asia, disputing with Stephen. So they weren't happy with him. Um, and we go all the way down. Won't read it because we won't have time. But we go all the way down to verse 13. They, uh, they prepared false witnesses against him, as they did with um, Christ. Um, And then Stephen is um, given an opportunity, I guess you would say, um, although it was a crowd, but to defend himself, which he didn't really do. What Stephen did was um, he really preached a sermon to them, to the crowd, which really was a lot of the history um, of the Bible. Um, and if we go uh, reading Acts chapter 7, that's pretty much what most of that is. Uh, Stephen is just telling them kind of like it is. But clearly, he wasn't trying to defend himself as Christ tried, didn't try to defend himself. If we can get a volunteer to read Acts chapter 7, verses 51 through 53, is there another volunteer? All right, Mr. Bogner, thank you. This is what you would probably not want to say if you were defending yourself to a group.
2: Ye stiff necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Ye always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye, which the prof- which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted. And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. We'll go through 55.
0: Yeah, 53 is fine. Um, so here Stephen is, is not seeking their favor. He's pretty much Telling them like it is. Um, and then we go to uh, 54 through 60. And what happens there is um, maybe we have time to read that. Maybe um, we get one more volunteer to read 54 through 60. Okay,
3: 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven, saw the glory of God in Jesus standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down, and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. When he had said this, he fell asleep.
0: Okay, so Stephen was stoned to death. Um, So persecution can obviously be in the form of death, which it was in his case, but there's also other minor forms of persecution, which is more of what we are seeing uh, in our country. They can be things like unkind words, teasing or belittling uh, forms of discrimination, being treated negatively, not getting a job, not getting promoted, getting fired, damage to your property. Someone sees the fish on your on your car in a parking lot, and they hate Christians. They may break the window. I mean, who knows? Assaults, and ultimately, um, as in Stephen's case, you're martyred uh, in death. But we're never alone in persecution. God is there to give us grace and strength—grace and strength—to overcome it, as we read in verses 55 and 56. Um, of Acts chapter 7 but he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into the heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God so just put yourself in Stephen's shoes when you've got this mob that's in the process of stoning you and imagine the comfort you would feel if you look up and you literally see Jesus standing at the right hand of God I don't think he had any uh, concerns after that at all um, I'm sure he felt great comfort. And that's what we need to do uh, when we're being persecuted. We need to look up to the Lord and not look at our circumstances. Um, most of us, I'm sure, have suffered some form of persecution. I don't, well, I know none of us have suffered it at the level that Stephen did, um, obviously. Uh, but some of our brothers and sisters around the world are suffering persecution like that. Um, And some have here in our country as well. I'm going to have Gideon read a couple of uh, stories of of people who were martyred. One of them uh, happened here in our country, and another
4: one I'm I'm sure you all are familiar with. But go ahead, Gideon. This first one is about Polycarp. Polycarp was an early church father who lived in the first century A.D. and became a Christian when he was about 30 years old. After being mentored by the Apostle John, Polycarp became bishop in the ancient city of Smyrna, located in present-day Turkey. Just as his mentor had done, Polycarp withstood the heresies of his day and confronted pagan, pra- confronted pagan practices. This ultimately led to his martyrdom. Throughout the first century, the Romans heavily persecuted Christians. Often, for public entertainment, the Romans pitted Christians against wild beasts and arenas. When crowns began to call for the elderly Polycarp to be taken to the arena, his friends persuaded him to escape to the nearby country. There he continued to pray for the church. In the meantime, officials tortured two of Polycarp's young acquaintances until they revealed Polycarp's whereabouts. When the authorities arrived at the cottage where he was resting, it was dinner time. Polycarp asked someone to prepare the officials a meal and then he asked for an uninterrupted hour to pray. Ultimately, his captors allowed him to pray for two hours. The authorities took him into the city to the arena and put Polycarp on a donkey. The magistrate there tried to persuade the old pastor to renounce his faith in Christ, but he responded, Eighty and six years have I served Christ, nor has he ever done me any harm. How then could I blaspheme my king who saved me? As executioners prepared to nail Polycarp to a stake surrounded by bundles of wood and set fire to him, he asked them not to secure him to the stake. He assured them that the God who would help him bear the flames would enable him to remain on the pyre. They complied, only tying his hands behind his back. When onlookers watched, they ignited the flames, which made an arc around his body, but did not burn him. When the authorities realized that Polycarp's body was not burning, they commanded an executioner to stab him to death while he prayed prayers of thanksgiving to God. And then this other one is a modern day story that happened in the US. The middle child of five siblings, Rachel Scott, was born in Colorado in 1981. She was reared in a Christian home, and at 12 years of age, she committed her life to Christ. Her parents noted that from then on, Rachel seemed to have a heightened spiritual awareness. While she had always encouraged others with notes and by her actions, Rachel's journal entries written after she was saved indicated her growing relationship with God. As a high school student, Rachel befriended other students, especially newcomers, those with special needs, and students targeted by bullies. But Rachel also loved life and having fun. Being part of the school drama team and writing and drawing in her journals were some of her creative expressions. Her church youth group, Breakthrough, was a source of spiritual strength for her. For 17-year-old Rachel Scott, the morning of April twentieth, 1999, began much as any other school day. She and her mother chatted as they put on their makeup, and then Rachel called to her brother, Craig, to hurry up so they wouldn't be late for classes at Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado. At lunchtime, Rachel and her classmate, Richard Castaldo were sitting on a grass knoll eating and talking with two, when two fellow students who held prejudices against athletes, minorities, and Christians approached with guns and shot both of them. By Richard's account, after the first bullets hit Rachel in the arms and torso, one of the shooters lifted her head up by her hair and asked her if she believed in God. After she answered, you know I do, he shot her to death. All right. Thank you, Gideon. So there's two
0: persecutions um now Polycarp he said he was saved when he was thirty, and he when they were getting ready to to martyr him, he said he'd been serving the Lord for eighty i think eighty six years so that means he was know, my math isn't very good, but he was pretty old when that happened um and it's interesting how. God wouldn't even let them do it the way they wanted to do it, with the flames. You know, I don't even know, it doesn't say, I don't even know if he felt the pain of those. Um, God could have withheld that from him. But um, but it's interesting, Polycarp was persecuted by officials, where the, the young girl that you read about at Columbine, that was a persecution by an individual, a, a criminal act. Um, obviously, I think the official's persecution is more of a concern to the church. We'll never be able to control what individuals do. Um, but both of them were equally brave and um, actually strong in their faith. Um, as I said, I know none of us have severed persecution anywhere close to that level. Um, but what we are seeing in our country, I think, now is the beginning of a persecution of Christians. But I think we're being persecuted not so much for what we believe, but we're being persecuted for what we won't accept because of our beliefs. Um, and I'm talking really about what we're seeing more now is, is um, cultural things um, that I don't really need to define in a family Sunday school class. We all know what, what I'm talking about. But I think that's the persecution that we're seeing. And I'm afraid it, it, it's going to lead to us being hated. Um They hate us for what we don't don't agree with them or won't go along with them. I think if they do stop hating us, then we ought to be concerned. (laughs) Did they change or did we? But understanding that our harassment is a form of persecution and it does not give rise to the level of what Gideon read or what's going on around the world, but it's very real to us. If a man loses his whole hand and you talk to him, losing one finger wouldn't really be a big deal. But if you have your whole hand and you lose one finger, it is a pretty big deal. So what I want to have is an opportunity for us to share some levels of persecution that we may have have, um, felt in the workplace or or anywhere. Um, Again, being sensitive to uh, cultural things that we don't need to get into. We all understand what they are. But I know from talking to a lot of men that this is going on in the business world. Um, I'll share something. Um, and again, it's almost embarrassing to to call this, uh, that's why I kind of use the word harassment more than persecution, when we hear about this young lady or Stephen or Polycarp to uh, to complain about this. But this is where I think where it begins. Um, so mine, and then I'll give you all an opportunity, My mine is a recent thing that's very minor i mean it's near the level zero on the uh, persecution scale but i think it's the beginning of what we're seeing and what happened was we we built a garage and we we like to um and we shouldn't but we like to always we're just tempted to go with the lowest bidder on things often Um, but this time we thought we're going to get these doors and we're just going to we're just going to spend the money and we're going to do it upright so we went with the top-of-the-line doors and the top-of-the-line openers, and we were going to pay to get them installed, and we went to the Home Depot there in Lovkin, and, and we paid for everything. And Well, the installer comes out of the Houston area because they don't have an installer in Broadus or Lovkin area. And he wasn't happy, I think, about having to drive all the way out there to begin with. Um, and I don't know if there was something I said in the conversation or what, but at some point he realized we were Christians. Well, as time went on, we're still building the garage, and and I didn't want, on these openers, I didn't want wires being stretched across the ceiling. I just thought it would look better if I put the outlets right where they need to be, so I would call on him, asking him questions, where where are the openers going to go? I want to put the outlets right near them so there's not a wire dangling and different things. And I could tell he was getting irritated with me um, because I was asking too many questions. but anyway, he was supposed to come out and install him. He didn't show up, and he wouldn't call me back. So finally, I called the Home Depot. I said, "Look, this guy—you know—he's supposed to be coming out. I spent all this money. Um, what's going on?" So they called him, and then he got really upset. He said, "I threw him under the bus," and and he started chewing me out on the phone. And he's on a speaker with the people in his office. I can hear them all in the background. And um, but what he said was, he said. And you call yourself a Christian. You're supposed to be a Christian. And he got all all off into my Christianity, which he knew nothing about other than the fish he saw or or a phone uh, answering message on a machine. But that's what he wanted to attack me over. And I explained to him I don't think it really has anything to do with the garage door openers. Um, But he did come out to the house, and it got so bad I told Home Depot, look, you need to have somebody here when this guy's here. I tried to get him to let somebody else do it. We'd gotten a bid from a guy named Bubba in East Texas, and um, I really wanted Bubba to do it, but they said, no, the guy's got to do it from Houston. And I did call Bubba and apologize for not hiring him in the first place. But anyway, so he came out with his crew, and we tried to be nice. We, we offered him food. We you know, drank, just being very kind to him. The Home Depot manager was... Was walking around and he put on his Home Depot thing that they wear. I'm not sure why, because he was just walking around our yard, but we all knew who he was. Anyway, I look and the guy is poking holes in the sheetrock in the garage with a screwdriver all over the place, and I was like, "What? Why are you poking holes all over the place?" And so I'm trying to find the the rafter to screw the to screw the uh, garage door opener into, and I'm like, "Well, you don't have one of those little." Stud finders. I have one. I'm not a, an installer, but I have one. And anyway, he did that. I think on all three of the of the openers, and I think it was a way of him lashing out. Um, and the manager of Home Depot wasn't too happy about it either. Uh, like I said, it's a very minor thing. Um, it's almost embarrassing to even talk about it. But and I hope that I've had other more significant things. But that's what comes to mind. So. Does anybody else want to share something, please? <laughs> A persecution that, you've, that you may have felt in your life in some way. Nobody has anything as, as, as tra- tragic as that <laughs> back here in the back. He's going to bring you the microphone. Thank you for bailing me out. <laughs> Mrs. McCafferty. One is ongoing. Is uh, my sister and older brother? I have no communication with them over my stand against evil and um, even political things. They've uh, shut me down. Um, like I'm dead to them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'll text them sometimes and say, "Hey, I'm thinking about you, praying for you," and uh, don't
2: ever hear a response. Yeah. So.
0: And that's sad, and that's probably a more common form of persecution, but that's what it is is it is a form of persecution. And then we got Mr. Fields. I have several things that,
5: at work. You know, we would have a Christmas party. Uh, I say party, Christmas lunch. Um, and we would set up, and for many years, I would get asked to pray. And so I did. And so one day, finally, um, and this is with a, a new division chief. He calls uh, the division chief and the deputy, uh, which were not Christians, called me into his office and said, uh, hey, you can't pray in Jesus' name. You know, we've had a complaint. Well, there was one lady I know where it came from, uh, and she apparently was a Satanist. <clears throat> and uh, if you went to look at her desk, uh looked pretty bad anyway. And I really wondered about that and I said, you know, I can only pray in Jesus' name. He says, well, no. He says, well, if you're telling me I can't pray in Jesus' name, then I can't pray because that's what God says to do. Um, and, and so the, the, they stopped all prayer. Mm. At those luncheons, uh, from then on, um, another thing is I, for many years, um, you know, coordinated prayer at uh, at JSC at Johnson Space Center, and after the Challenger uh, mishap, I was calling people to pray, and I get a a call from. Bill and one, somebody high up, and says, John, we're not sure you can have that. I said, and, and we could. It was voluntary, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, I was going to press on. I said, they said, we're, we're discussing it. And, uh, oh, yeah. And I was up in Houston at a training. I had to come out to get this call anyway. So... It was that kind of thing where they were holding it up. They finally got back to me, I think the day of, maybe the day before, and said, okay, you can have it, you know. Hmm. But um, those are just a couple of things to where, okay, no, the name of Jesus will not be said here. Hmm. And it may be a government installation. It's not government land. It actually belongs to Rice University. Um, However, uh, we can have Bible studies. We can pray. There is nothing unconstitutional about that, even the the separation of church and state, which is totally wrong, 100%. And if if you don't know about that, come talk to me. It's 180 degrees wrong. Um, So all of that is more than permissible. And uh, and so over the years, there's been more than once where, no, no, you can't
0: talk about Jesus. Well, thank you for sharing, John. Does anybody else have anything? Mr. Adams.
1: Yeah, this isn't direct persecution, but as you mentioned, just culturally, and you know, I work for a big oil and gas company, and more and more every year, we just went through this Pride Month, right? month or so ago. And it's more and more just in your face celebration of it. And it, it makes anybody that has, you know, a Christian worldview extremely uncomfortable because, you know, if you say anything, you're on the wrong side of this. And so, you know, I haven't experienced any direct persecution yet, but you can see it just getting stronger and stronger and required to attend these diversity and inclusion classes and things like that. And eventually, I know it's going to come to a point where you're going to have to stand up and say, look, I cannot participate and celebrate this. Thankfully, it hasn't happened yet, but you just see that's the way it's going. Yeah, I think
0: you're right. And that's, and I think there's a purpose to it. Um, And like what John was sharing as well, I remember there was a, a kid, a high school kid, a public school kid wanted to pray at his graduation and somehow, I guess the speech was submitted, there was going to be a prayer in the name of Jesus Christ in there, and the, it went to court, and a federal judge told them there was going to be U.S. Marshals there, and if he said that prayer uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were going to arrest him, drag him off the, off the uh, field in the middle of his prayer, which is insane. And there are, there are there, there's a lot of things that go on, and especially in schools, public schools, where there's an intimidation, where these groups go in and say, you can't have these prayer meetings, you can't do this, they write letters, and the principals get scared, and they tell them they can't do it. But there's also Christian organizations that come in, and I was listening to one of them, and they said that they're, they've got like a 100% victory rate when they go to court. The problem is, between court and there, is, is people being intimidated. Now, in a private workforce... Of course that is different. Um, but it's very interesting how those in government or big business will not support Christianity, but they will support something like Islam, especially when Islam goes against many of the things that they do support. Islam is radically against many of the cultural things that our government, or some in our government, and uh, in, in, in some businesses are supporting like women being able to drive, read, uh, learn to read, be seen in public, Um, and a lot worse. I read a book a few years ago about a young Muslim girl. She was in high school up north, uh, not in Michigan, but I think in Ohio. Um, And they were from somewhere in the Middle East. I don't remember where. And she was going to high school, you and she got involved with some Christian girls, and she ended up getting saved. But she couldn't tell anybody about it, not even her family. She got baptized in a little creek In the woods near her house, by somebody, and she wrote her salvation testimony on a rock and threw it in the creek because she was afraid it would be found out. And she was found out, um, and her father was going to murder her. He was going to kill her, and she had to flee. She was a minor. She had to flee. She went somewhere to Florida, and I don't. It's a long. I mean, not a long book, but it's a book. But she went to Florida to this Christian family who gave her a safe place to stay and and the courts got involved, you know, the family wanted her back, which, you know, our laws, normally you're best with your family. Um, but she was saying, no, my father's going to kill me because that's what he's required to do under his false religion. Anyway, um, she ended up surviving. I don't remember, if she, I don't think she went back. She, she was close to turning 18, so she didn't have to go back. Uh, she wrote the book, but she's still in hiding now. Not just from her father, but now she's in hiding from all of Islam because she's written a book about being saved, and that's you know that goes against uh, they don't they don't like the they don't want those kind of things being said. Um, so it's confusing why they give support and understanding to these false religions that that support oppression and violence against um, against many, and then you wonder why why are the Christians hated? because all we teach is love. Even when we take a stand or point out sin, we never, it's never done in hatred, and we never call for violence against anybody. But when Islam takes what they would call a stand, it usually calls for violence if you don't fall into compliance. But for Christians, like John said, he could pray, he could pray probably anything he wanted there, but he couldn't pray in the name of Jesus Christ. So why do they hate us so much? And I don't I don't really have an answer other than I think there's a satanic power that overcomes the minds of people um, to hate Christians. And what's happening is by hating Christians, but they still are willing to stand up for Islam and these other false religions, those false religions, Islam and the others, they're doing Satan's work. Because Satan doesn't care if we follow these false gods, it doesn't matter to him as long as we're not following the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's the following of the Lord Jesus Christ that is going to keep us from spending eternity in hell with Satan. And those other false religions, it doesn't matter to him because all those roads lead right to him, which is where where he wants people. So really, I think uh, persecution is really A wonderful confirmation of the gospel. Um, because it's because the gospel is the gospel that we're hated. And that's why Islam and I mean they they, Islam was responsible for the Twin Towers. And I thought when that happened, I thought, wow, this, you know, the country's gonna be completely against the Muslim community. I mean, they, they came in New York and killed whatever it was, 3,000 people. But it was after that that the support grew. That's when you. That's when I started hearing about Ramadan and all these other things much more. So it's just very confusing. Um, but I think it's important to understand that the persecution is a confirmation of the gospel. Um, also, I think we don't want to be discouraged in these things, but we want to be encouraged. If I can get another volunteer, maybe Gideon, to read um, 2 Timothy um. Chapter three, verse twelve. Actually, I'll, I'll read that one, Gideon. I'll let you read a longer one. So, sorry. Uh, yea, all that, all that, yay, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So we're told we're going to suffer persecution if we're living godly and in Christ Jesus. We're going to suffer persecution. So we need to be. We need to be happy that we are um, and grateful for it when it happens. Uh, but Gideon, could you read First uh, Peter 4, 12 through 19?
4: Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God, And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them suffer according to the will of God, commit the keeping of their souls to him, and well-doing as unto a faithful creator. All right, thank you, Gideon. And I think verse 13, to me,
0: I want to say it's really key, but there's a little key next to it in my Bible, so it seems strange to say that. But... But rejoice in so much as ye be partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. So we should be glad when we're persecuted. Um, I know it's kind of hard to believe that Polycarp, I'm sure he would rather have avoided that. But when it comes down to the point where it can't be avoided, I think... um, I'm not saying that we shouldn't fight in our court systems for different things that fall under our laws and our Constitution, but in the end, we're going to suffer persecution, and when we do, we're suffering as Christ did, and we need to be grateful for that. Um, Now, really, we got just a couple of minutes left. I don't know if anybody had any comments on persecution they wanted to share. we got Mr. Adams first and then Mr. Hornbuckle.
1: Just so happens, I'm reading John chapter sixteen for church this morning, and it begins with, um, "You know, you should be put out of the synagogues, and the time will cometh, and whosoever killeth you, will think he is doing service to God." Mm-hmm. And you know, The context here is the Jewish people that are, you know, persecuting him, but I think it has the broader sense that, you know, the God of this world that our culture is serving. Thinks it's good to persecute Christians and okay with it because they're doing service to their their
0: calls or whatever.
1: Yeah, that's why it makes it so hard to uh, to
0: to deal with is that they think they're doing good. And that's when you in uh, the Gideon the story that Gideon read about Polycarp. I mean, it was for entertainment that they threw Christians to these animals. I mean, they didn't they didn't. I think they had to somehow dehumanize them in their own minds um, and we're starting to see that now with here uh, in a very small way but it's got to start somewhere But go ahead John
6: well it's interesting I, I'm kind of self-employed so if somebody don't like me I just don't work with them so it's, it's kind of, nice. but my kids it's interesting to watch them because they're they're pretty bold I mean they just witness to neighborhood kids and I've seen them be shunned it kind of hurts, you know, to see your kids get shunned. Mm-hmm. But in a way, it's good preparation because we talk about it. And, you know, like Jaden, he's pretty bold. He just shares about Jesus with people. And I've seen him get shunned in the neighborhood because of that. And I have a funny story. Uh, Olivia, who just turned seven, she told we were at the some park or something. She told this boy that if he didn't know Jesus, he was going to go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> And I was off, away from the the park scene, and doing something with Jaden. And and I looked up, and and I heard some, you know, stuff going on. And I wa- walked over there, and this lady just came charging at me, and she was fired up. And she said, "You need to tell your little girl how to talk to people." I said, "Oh, I'm sorry. What happened?" She said, "Well, he, she told me that if my son didn't know Jesus, he was going to go to hell." I said, "Wait a minute, now." That may not have been the most appropriate way to say it but that's true. And she got she was all in my face. I mean I was like and I'd talked to her earlier and we were friendly and mm-hmm. but it was amazing how in my face she was. So it was it was pretty fun to I was able to to kind of share with her some scripture about how right. no what she's saying is true. But it I think it's um it's definitely coming. Yeah. And it's sad to see your kids get shunned but it's
0: I'm grateful they're bold, though. Yeah, well, thank you. And then Gideon, you had said something last night about this. Um, do you remember what that was? I'm going to try to remember because I, I was, it was, I thought it was good enough. I was going to write it down, but I knew I'd be stealing
4: it from you. So. Yeah, I think I just mentioned that, like Mr. Hornbuckle was saying. You know, I feel like persecution is going to be, you know, coming to Christians soon in the United States but I feel like it'll separate the true believers and the non-believers, just people who are, you know, claiming to be Christians. I think they'll, you know, that'll really separate them from the true
0: believers. Exactly. And I think that's true. We've seen that in China. We've seen that in countries where persecution is being done on a great scale by the government, um, that the church is stronger there. Um, So um, we don't want it, but... Just as in the case of your daughter, the little girl got upset and the mother came running over to you. Well, the the number of people that heard the gospel that day doubled from the little girl to her mother as well because of the reaction. So what they do with it, we can't help that, but, but that's good. So does anybody have anything else? Yes, Dick. Reminds me of
2: um Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego mm-hmm. um, from that perspective. Um, they said they Nebuchadnezzar said, okay, well, when all these instruments play, now you bow down. And he, he gave me you one more chance. So they they played the music and and uh, basically what they said is there's no discussion here. You know, we've decided our God can save us yeah. from the fire fiery furnace which they were going to get stoked up seven times higher mm-hmm. but even if he doesn't we're not bowing down to your gods so i just um i just recently read that but just um the boldness that they had for christ you yep. know you know was so great for god so
0: and that's that's exactly who i thought about when gideon read about polycarp i thought about how the flames didn't affect them now the Lord did allow the, the, the knife to uh, to take Polycarp, so he you know he he does what he does for his reasons. But right. um, but I thought about that same story. Um, so that that's good. Thank you.
2: No smell of fire on him. No yeah, amazing. S- singed hair or yeah. anything. Yes. And just
0: like Daniel too. I mean, it's the scriptures just full of accounts of of people that um, that took a stand, and if if they had burned. They would not have have, have worshipped that false god. They would have been in heaven worshipping the true God. And if Daniel had been killed by the lions, he would have been with the Lord. So if we have the faith, if we really believe what we say we believe, we don't have to fear death.
2: So um, just a point that, you know, if we have convictions, we need to turn that into commitments. Because when Nebuchadnezzar asked Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego to bow down, there was no no question. They didn't have yeah. to pull and get their questions, you know, exactly. what do we yeah. do, you know. Yep. They knew what they were going to do ahead of time. So exactly. we need to use our convictions and make commitments so, so that we don't, when we get put on the spot, we know what we're going to do.
0: Exactly. Okay. Now, I think we need to be careful that we don't think, well, if we're being persecuted in a way that goes against the laws of our country that... With the government God gave us, that we need to just say, "Well, I'm being persecuted. I just need to accept that because our government came from God and our constitution came from God. So we can fight within the confines of that, and and we should. Um, um We don't we don't I don't think we're told to just roll over and and and, and uh, give up, um, especially when we're dealing with the laws of our of our country, because really it is the United States. And I personally think that the reason we've found as much favor as we've had over these years, I think a big part of it is the fact that we've been responsible for spreading the gospel around the world. We've been the, like the Lord's megaphone, uh, I mean, as a country. Um, and and I think that, um, that that's why we've prospered maybe in a lot of ways we have, because a lot of that's returned back to other people. Not as much now as it was at one time, but Still, even like after after um, read an article or a story or something about after um, Japan surrendered and, and uh, General MacArthur was um, I forget the word they used for it, but basically he was a dictator temporarily of Japan till till they could form their own government. And you know what he asked for? He said, "Send missionaries." That's what he asked for: send missionaries to Japan because they didn't know the Lord. Now they had someone else when that when when. When we went into Iraq and, and, um, and removed that government, they had a guy temporarily in a similar role. It wasn't a military general, but, um, but he didn't ask for missionaries. Matter of fact, they, didn't, they wouldn't allow missionaries. They wanted to allow them to keep their faults. Um, and maybe things would have been different if they had. I, I don't know. It may have been much more violent. I don't know. But anyway, if nobody else has anything, I think we're about done. So anybody else have anything they wanted to mention? All right. Well, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just uh, thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for, we thank you for a country we live in, Lord, that, that has protected us from persecution and still does. It's not all of our government that stands against us. It's some of our government, Lord, and, and uh, we're grateful um, that we, our Constitution gives us these freedoms and these rights, but they can be taken away um, as far as the law is concerned but no law can ever uh, take away our relationship with you, Lord, and we're grateful for that. So um, we do thank you for where we are. We just pray for the countries where, um, where the persecution is much worse, where people are literally dying in your name, Lord. Um, we just pray, Lord, for those people um, that you will comfort them, Lord, and and in any of us who are going for persecution, Lord, that we will look up to you, Lord, and see, see, see your son standing on your right side, Lord, and just the comfort, as Stephen must have felt in that, Lord, that we can feel that same comfort as we move forward in knowing that we're suffering as you did. We just thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.